have some thoughts I want to pass out to you. Let's, let's turn to Joel chapter 1. Joel chapter 1. If you're just joining us in the book of Joel, uh, the main theme of this book is going to be the day of the Lord. And we're going to be talking about it quite a bit. Uh, it's only three chapters uh, long. The book is chapter, I believe chapter 2 is, is the longer chapter. And uh, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, it's, it's broken into four, four chapters instead of three. It's the same content. They just break it up uh, a little bit better, a little bit different. Uh, but it's still the same number of verses. But again, the, the theme is the day of the Lord, which we have oftentimes said and continue to say that uh, it is not one single day, but it is focused on, on a seven-year period of time that is outlined for us in the book of Daniel chapter 9, and particularly in verses 24 to 27 of Daniel chapter 9. And there's mention of a seven-year period, and there's two uh, lengths of Excuse me, two lengths of time that are important for us to understand in the, in the study of prophecy, and that is seven years and three and a half years. And uh, we'll see that as we go along in our study of the day of the Lord as we uh, look carefully at, at the book of Joel. Now, we've done the first 12 verses already, but I'm going to talk a little bit about them in review after we read the last section of this chapter, which is verses 13 through 20. So let's look at verse 13, and that's where we begin our study, by just reading this. Now, Joel has received the word from the Lord, and this is what he's giving to the people. Now, we believe that Joel was in the southern kingdom of Judah at the time. The temple was still up. Uh, this temple was still being used. And so uh, the time frame then is, of, of telling the people the things that, that they need to prepare for because there's judgment coming to Israel. Judgment is coming to Israel and Judah. Remember that they were, they were a split kingdom. They were, there were two kingdoms, as it were. There was the northern kingdom of Israel that was uh, 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 comprised of ten tribes. Uh, to the north, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah was comprised of two uh, uh, tribes, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south. And they were the only ones that were actually worshiping the Lord in the place where God wanted them to worship, which is in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is mentioned, Jerusalem and the temple is mentioned, so we know then that, uh, that uh, Joel, as a prophet, was in that particular area of, of, uh, of the land. He speaks to all the people, and then he breaks down some of the charges, and I'll talk about those in just a minute. We are now to the, to the charges that he's giving to the priests of the temple. And he says here in verse 13, gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Uh-oh, we got to stop one second. Just got to find out where that is. Nobody home. Leave a message. Start again. Gird yourselves and lament your priests. Howl, ye ministers of, of the altar. Maybe it's a good time for me to say, check your phones and make sure that they're on silent. Okay. Nobody wants to do it. It's all right. We're not here anymore. We're not here anymore. Howl, which means to wail, cry, loud. You ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God. And cry unto the Lord. Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. 
When you read that, what is it telling us? The Lord is bringing the judgment. Is not the meat cut off from before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed is rotten under the clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down. For the corn is withered. How do the beasts grow? That's not a question, by the way. It's a statement. How do the beasts grow? The herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry. For the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. The task of getting people to turn to the Lord and to seek him is always easier said than done, especially when the people are God's people and the situation that they might find themselves in is leading them to face the judgment of God. The Lord had made it clear through the prophet Joel that the locust invasion, by the way, that's found in verses 4 and 5 of, of uh, chapter 1. But the Lord had made it clear through the prophet Joel that the locust invasion was a warning. A warning that should they continue turning away from him and from his word, that they would be facing such a day. A day that he calls the day of the Lord. Now in the course of this warning, Joel would be commanded by the word of the Lord. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Bethuel. That is a very significant phrase because it is telling us that Joel didn't just get a lot of other prophets, uh, prophecies from other prophets and began to just repeat them or copy them. This prophecy came directly from the Lord to this one single prophet. And this is what he was giving the people. So in, this in the course of this morning, Joel would be commanded by the word of the Lord to charge the elders, the leaders, as well as the citizens, to hear and to listen exactly what God is saying to them because the catastrophe that is coming or that was coming would be without equal. That is verses 2, or that's verse 2. And hence, they, they were commanded to share, declare, and prepare all future generations of the progressive stages of attacks that would come. That's verse 3. Tell, he says, your children, let your children uh, uh, tell their children, their children another generation. Keep it going. Keep telling them this. In other words, as long as we're on this earth, we're not yet completely saved, are we? Even we in the church today are facing all kinds of trials. We're facing all kinds of situations. The world is no longer just steadily coming to uh, hate us. They already do. And we see how much more the world is hating God and the Bible and the people of God and the Word of God and the God of the world. The church, not to mention the Jews, I'll talk about it a little bit more in just a minute. There's no time that we have to put away the Word of God and say this, the things in it are not important. We're sophisticated, are we? How sophisticated are we? I just heard a report, and I can't, I can't speak to it because I haven't heard it, but someone told me earlier today that uh, there was a, a, a bill passed in New York concerning uh, the, the allowance of, of aborting children even to the very last week, I think, or, uh, but, you know, in, in other words, if you want to abort your baby right before it's born, you can abort it. And you don't understand what abortion is. You don't understand this, the maiming, the, the tearing up of a, of, a, of a child's body in the womb of a mother. It's not taking it out and murdering it. No, it's murdering it inside the mother. Understand this. 
How crazy that is? This is a world in which we're living right now before the coming of the great day of the Lord. To judge just these kinds of things. It's too serious for us to say, well, you know, the word of God might be the word of God. Or as Greg was referring to this past weekend, you know, well, you know, some people believe, well, this, this book contains some of the word of God. No, folks, this, from Genesis to Revelation, every word is the word of God. So we have to continue to share, declare, and prepare all future generations in the progressive stages of attacks that would come. An immediate judgment, an imminent judgment, and an ultimate judgment. This is what Joel was preparing her for. There was an, an immediate judgment coming, the Babylonians. There would be an imminent judgment, the Romans, destroying all of Jerusalem and Judah and all of Judea, and all of Israel. Scattering the, scattering the Jews throughout the whole world. But then there's coming an ultimate judgment. Who's that going to be focused on? The Antichrist. So the Lord would then charge the drunkards, right? and that's verse 5. Awake the drunkards. The Lord would then charge the drunkards and the pleasure seekers to wake up and to weep for their misuse of the harvest and the fruit of the land, having taken more than their share for their self-indulgent pleasures, bringing about an invasion that would wipe out the vineyards and the fruit trees, leading to the downfall of the nation's entire economy. Now, that, was, that had happened with the locust invasion. That had already happened. That's what the locust invasion came to show them. You see how the locusts have wiped out all of your crops? How they've wiped out all of your vineyards? And those of you that are pleasure seekers and self-indulgent, well, yeah, you can, you can weep because, oh, Lord, no more wine. No more trading. No more buying, no more selling, no more uh, uh, selling of produce, while, while massive unemployment would, would sweep across the nation. Haven't we seen this in history before, though? Even in the Western world, these things have happened. And there have been many major droughts, or plagues of locusts. There have been plagues of locusts, by the way, historically. Maybe not in, in, in grand, grand uh, sections of the world, but wherever they do strike, they destroy. And they devastate. All of this would then lead to the young and the old receiving a charge to mourn. Verse 8. To mourn like a young bride at the loss of her fiancé or bridegroom. Normal life as they had known would be changed for a long time by the economic devastation. For their very survival would be threatened, no food, no hope. That would lead to the charge of the farmers and the vine dressers. Verse 10. Despair. And to be ashamed, verse 11. Not only would the fruit trees that provided food and beauty to the eye be devastated, the very crops that were necessary for various uses in the worship of God. Think about that. Sometimes that's the last thing, think, uh, the last thing people think about. Is that God has called us to worship Him first. And that everything that we have and everything that we are is to be used in the worship of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Above and beyond everything else. But all the things that were necessary for them to worship God in their time by the people, that would be destroyed, leaving them discouraged and without hope. And brings us to this next chart, which is to the priests, where we began our reading in verse 13. And to the priests now, he says, gird yourselves. Put on your robe, but not just any robe. He says, gird yourselves and lament your priests. I'll tell you which kind of robe they're to put on in just a moment. Gird yourselves and lament your priests. How <coughs> you ministers of the altar. Come life all night in sacrifice. 
That's the kind of robe I want you to put on. Suffer. Be ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholding from the house of your God. So here was a here was a very compelling admonition, a very compelling charge given to the priests. Gird yourselves in sackcloth. That's what you wore when you were mourning. When you were in mourning. When you were lamenting. The very conditions that have come because of judgment. Or because of death. Gird yourselves in sackcloth. Weep and wail as you come to the altar before the Lord. That, that's hard for us to listen to because when we say come and worship the Lord, we're to come to worship Him, not only in spirit and in truth, as we are supposed to, but we're to come to rejoice in the Lord. And the word that's found in the, in the word rejoice is the word joy. What we come to do here is something of, 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 of joy and gladness in our hearts because we are giving thanks to the God who has saved us for eternity who has loved us enough to send his only begotten son so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish have everlasting life. I mean, that's, that's reason to rejoice, isn't it? And that's why we do this constantly. Together we do it once a week or twice a week, however many times we gather. We can do it seven days a week, which is the way we're supposed to worship anyway. We're not, we're not supposed to take a day off from worshiping the Lord. Everything we do, everything we say is to give honor and glory and thanks and praise to the God who created us, who made us, and who saved us. Who gave us life when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Gave us life. That's reason to rejoice. So isn't it interesting when he says, come to the altar, but come weeping. There are times when we need to come with the very same attitude because of the condition of the church in the world today. When I say the church in the world today, it's what is being done in, the, in, in what's the visible church that people are seeing and, and, and that, uh, that causes even greater animosity toward the church, even though the church, the true church of the living God, the ones who are true believers, the ones who are the ones who are obeying the Lord and following his word and staying in his word, you know, I mean, we're, we're, getting, we're getting attacked as well. But there's reason for that kind of attack. But the world just lumps everybody in. The lower the world just lumps anybody that <laughs> has a cross or, or, or considers Jesus to be an important part of their life. We can call that Christendom, if you will, or just, again, visible Christianity. The invisible church, the one church that no one really sees except the Lord himself. That's you and me if we are truly believers in the Lord. And we know that he's changed us. That he's taken us from death into life. That he's taken us from darkness into light. That he's taken us from despair into his love and his hope. So he says, weep and wail as you come to the altar before the Lord and consider the disaster facing the nation as you cry throughout the night to the Lord. There are times when we need to pray for the church. There are times when we need to pray for our own church. There are times when we need to pray for our brothers and sisters that are going through struggles and trials. Uh, because the world is attacking them or because, the, you know, the, the enemy has, has confused their mind to living in a way that is, uh, is not pleasing unto the Lord. And we love them and we want them to come, to come right because we're, we're living in very troubling times. There are times when we need to come to the Lord in that manner. But this is deeper. With no offerings to be presented to the Lord any longer, this meant that they would no longer have the financial support of the people as they always had. Even the priests themselves, who were supposed to be supported by the people, were going to struggle for survival. 
There's some sense that Joel was honoring the priest, by the way. When he referred to the temple as the house of your God. He wouldn't say that to priests that were actually dishonoring the temple. So he says that he was referring to the temple as the house of your God while also referring to the priests as those who minister before my God. If you're ministering before my God, then he's honoring them for doing that. So that's an interesting little facet to this to this letter here in chapter 1. The priests were, were certainly called to set the example to others when it came time to seek the face of the Lord and, and to turn from wicked ways and repentance, uh, humbling themselves and praying fervently. He's calling them to do that, that the people would see and, 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 and uh, you know, latch on to that with them. If they're praying, they're, there's a good reason why they're praying. We need to pray with them. And the mention of sackcloth to be worn at a time like this would be reflected upon the very people by another prophet in the, in the prophetic call of, Je, of Jeremiah. Think, think of this. I mean, Jeremiah's uh, message in Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 5 through 9 is, is very similar to much of what we see here in the book of Joel. And as I mentioned in our introduction, Joel was actually the prob and probably, probably the first of the writing prophets. So it would have come to Jeremiah, the, the message. Now, it's not that he was borrowing or just, you know, using it because it sounded good. The Lord put it on his heart to say this is the very same thing. Jeremiah 4, verse 5, Declare ye in Judah and publish in Jerusalem, and say, Blow ye the trumpet in the land. Just turn over just slightly over into chapter 2, and what does it say there at the beginning of chapter 2? Blow ye the trumpet. Zion. So declare ye in Judah and publish in Jeremiah and say, Blow ye the trumpet in the land, cry, gather together and say, Assemble yourselves. In other words, get together as a people and let us go into the defensed cities. Set up the standard towards Zion. Remember, Jeremiah, uh, Joel said, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion. Retire, stay not. For I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. Who was coming? Babylon. The lion has come up from his thicket and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. And he has gone forth from his place to make the lot, thy land desolate. And thy cities shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. And notice verse 8. For this gird you with sackcloth. Lament and howl. For the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. When the people have committed themselves to being against the things of God, God is not going to turn from the judgment that he's going to bring upon them. He has given them every opportunity. He's given them time. He has used the prophets constantly. Return, repent, return to the Lord. Seek his face. Because if you don't, there's judgment that's coming. And it shall come to pass, verse 9, at that day. By the way, that's a very important phrase prophetically as well. At that day may refer to a, a near fulfillment of prophecy, but it usually refers to a later fulfillment of prophecy. So at that day, saith the Lord, this is talking about the day of the Lord as well. That the heart of the king shall perish and the heart of the princes and the, and the priests shall be astonished and the prophets shall wonder. And so the priests in Joel's prophecy here were encouraged by the prophet to call the people together for fasting, for prayer, and for repentance. Notice in verse 14 it says, Sanctify ye a fast. Kadash is the word for sanctify, which means set apart this meeting set apart yourselves set apart your hearts unto the Lord sanctify ye a fast commit yourselves to putting aside all of those things that the flesh may desire 
and listen and wait upon the Lord. Call a solemn assembly. This is, a, this is serious business, in other words. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. The temple's still up, folks. Gather them into the house of the Lord your God. The Lord, through the prophet, challenged the priest to summon all the people, the leaders, the citizens of the land, to attend a worship service in the house of the Lord. There they were to cry out to the Lord in prayer, seeking his help in dealing with the staggering consequences of the coming imminent judgment. It is no wonder that any and all disasters should arouse God's people to turn to the Lord. Do you remember 9-11? How many of you remember what happened on 9-11-2001? Okay, you all remember. It was a devastating time for this nation. The Sunday right after that, that was, I believe it was a Tuesday. The Sunday right after that, churches were full. We weren't in this particular building. This building was built in 2004, but the small little building we had up in the frontage, it only sat about 300, I think 300 people. We, were, we, we had, what, three or four services, and, and I think most of them were pretty packed, if I remember. I think the earliest one wasn't, but the others were. <laughs> and they were packed for a couple of weeks. But then, you know, like everything else, well, we started becoming really patriotic and everybody's working together, Democrats and Republicans. For a little while. And then we started getting what? Comfortable. And the churches weren't filled anymore. <coughs> I hate to think that we would have to wait for another disaster because more people come to church. We should be getting together all the time as we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ. That in itself should arouse us to turn to the Lord, to seek his face, to plead before him for help. You know, it will not matter who we are, leader or just plain citizen, if we, if we turn from sin and seek the Lord. If we seek him, he will hear us. If we seek him, he will meet our need. It's as simple as that. I talked a little bit earlier about this one major problem with our nation at this, at this juncture, and that is the, the hatred and the vitriol leveled against the, church, the Jews, the church, against the God of the word and the word of, of, the, of our God, against his people. It's, it's uh, something that I'm, I am going to deal with on, on Sunday because uh, the intensity, and I don't think that a lot of people see this you, you don't see I'll tell you, I'll tell you this you don't see it in in the regular uh, media today you won't see it uh, they've become for the most part uh, focused on one thing and that is to do everything they can to get rid of of our current president that, that's really all they're wanting to do so you're not going to get the news you're You'll have to look for other sources, but the fact of the matter is, uh, yeah, this, this one little thing, I don't know if you all heard about what happened to uh, those group of young people that went to a pro-life march uh, this past weekend from uh, Covington, I believe it's in, in Kentucky, uh, a Catholic, Catholic uh, school. Uh, and uh, they, they were attacked because of a mis- uh, I mean, I've really misrepresented our article on, on them saying that they were the ones that were, they were being, you know, disrespectful, and and it wasn't that way when they finally got it all together. Uh, but what it did was yesterday they couldn't even go to school. They had all kinds of death threats toward them. Why? 
No, only one reason, because they were wearing, you know, the Make America Great Again caps, and, and some of them were, not all of them. But they were being attacked by another group. And then a, a Native American was banging a drum and was in front of the one kid, and he just stood there. They said he was murking or whatever. You know, see, I mean, and, and so the way that things are being reported, it's all, you know, the first thing that they want to do is attack without wisdom or without proper um, reporting. There's no more reporting. There's no journalism in, in America anymore. It's sad, isn't it? What is it telling us? We better be ready because Jesus is coming. Got to be ready. Anyway, I'll talk more about that later. But consider this, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 27 through 31. I really want to finish this before Friday. What's today, Wednesday? <laughs> okay. Deuteronomy 4, verses 27 through 31. It says, And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations. He's speaking to the Jewish people, the children of Israel. The Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and you shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. There you shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear, nor eat nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord your God, if from there where you have fallen, where you have taken your eyes off of the Lord, where you have stopped serving the Lord, the one true God, from thence, from there that thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, if from there you do that, thou shalt find him, and if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul, you'll find him. When thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shall be obedient unto his voice. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. Folks, have we forgotten that about our God? That he's a merciful God? That his own people have to be reminded? He's a merciful God if you just come to him. He will not forsake thee. Neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. By the way, that covenant, he's keeping. It's a unilateral covenant that God is keeping with the, the people of Israel. But what does he want them to do? And what does he want us to do? Second Chronicles 7.14 Solomon is, re is receiving this from God himself. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Simple, isn't it? But as I said in the first sentence of this study tonight it's easier said than done. Easier said than done. Psalm 34, verses 16 through 19 says, The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh, which means near. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. A contrite spirit is a spirit that is wholeheartedly sorry for their sins. Wholeheartedly sorry before God. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's a good thing to remember. If you want to be delivered from all of your tribulations and all of your afflictions, you need to walk righteously before the Lord. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken, a contrite heart. Oh God, I will not despise. God never despises a broken heart. He never despises a contrite spirit. 
does more than that. He loves us even more. <laughs> Reminds me of, you know, how we oftentimes get, we're kind of childlike sometimes, maybe childish at times, but childlike sometimes, you know, you know, a boyfriend says to a girlfriend, I love you, and the girl says, I love you more. You ever heard that? Yeah, yeah. You always say, yeah, yeah, all the time. See, who wins? I'll tell you who wins. God wins. Who can love us more than him? Something that we need to remember. Loves us when we die to ourselves, when we humble ourselves. When we lay down our broken heart before him. Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Isn't that what some people are just always seeking? They just want that pardon from the Lord. Well, the only way you're going to get is come and, and lay your, your burdens down. Lay your sin down. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Isn't that true? <laughs> we keep trying to come up with ways to please the Lord when everything that we need to do is right in here. Lord, I told you what pleases me. Faith pleases me. Your trust in me pleases me. You living your life in that faith pleases me. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. If that's the case, then it's his ways that we want to follow. And that we want to please. Please. So how will we in these last days look at the disasters that are so prevalent today? Because we're dealing with a, with a nation that are, that are being told, listen, a great disaster is coming. And this one disaster that already came has happened to warn you about the things that are coming that have even a, a greater spiritual consequence. How do we in these days look at the disasters that are so prevalent? Because no matter what disasters befall us, there is always the question as to God's involvement. There are those who actually believe that God is not involved in the circumstances of life. As, as strange as that may be, that's, that's the way some people think. In fact, many of the founding fathers of this country who considered themselves as deists, that doesn't mean they were Christians, they believed that there was a God, but this, that this God, when you look at the, that, 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 that form of deism, as it were, said, that, you know, that, yeah, God created everything, but, that, you know, he's, he's in heaven and he doesn't really, you know, he leaves it up to us in this, in, this, uh, in this country, in this state of ours, or in this world of ours. He leaves it up to us. Whew. I don't know that that's a good thing. And, and that God's not even involved in the, in the weather. It's all those weathermen that's, that's in control. They're, they're, they're all the ones that are in control. Right? They're getting better, but they've never been accurate. Others believe that God has the power to stop any and all disasters, but if, but if he does not do it, he's lacking compassion. You ever heard that? Or, if he cares but can't do anything about it, then he's weak and not powerful as the scriptures describe him to be. There are people who view things like that too about God. Now, some hold the, to the idea that disasters are the work of the enemy, Satan, and that the Lord allows them to exist as a part of spiritual warfare. Hmm. Something to think about. But others hold to the idea that disasters are the results 
or the result of sin in the lives of God's people. But there are those who believe that God is the cause behind the disasters for reasons and purposes that no one can understand at the moment. Hmm, that's another thing to think about. Because in Psalm 148, verse 8, just, just listen to these words. Fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Hmm. Fulfilling his word. You see, the prophet Joel knew that this disaster, the locust plague, that it hit was a judgment of God with a warning of future disaster. So what should our response be? What should our response be? The only true and proper response should be to repent from sinful actions and attitudes and trust the Lord to fulfill all of his purposes in this world. See, when we, when we study the book, uh, the, the book, when we study the word of God, that is the book. When we study the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, we are, and, and then we are believing every page and every word on the page. I, I said back when we were, <laughs> excuse me, studying the book of uh, Genesis, uh, the, when we started back in 2010, oh my goodness, that was nine years ago. Ah! But when we studied the book of Genesis in 2010, we started that study, we went four full years in that book. But when we started, I said, if you can believe the first four words of this Bible, in the beginning, God, then you can believe every word to the very last, amen. If you can believe those four words, you can believe every word in the scriptures. And so the only true and proper response should be for us, for everyone to repent from sinful actions and attitudes and trust the Lord to fulfill all of his purposes in this world and especially in these last days. Because it, it, is, it is a confusing time if we're not discerning, if we're not <laughs> allowing the Spirit of God to help us in discerning the things and the spirits that are today going hog wild in this world. And I'm talking about the principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness and the spiritual wickednesses that are in high places that are mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6 by the Apostle Paul when he talks about the armor of God. We have a gift that every believer in Jesus Christ needs to be operating in. And that is the gift of discernment of spirits. John himself, in his first letter to the church, talks about the fact that we need to, we, we, we need to examine and test the spirits to see if they're of God. The reason why we are not seeing that happen a lot in the church today, oh, I mean, there's extremes on both, you know, from one side to the other. There's extremes of those people that are going weird, you know, into all kinds of, uh, you know, mystical and, and charismatic and Pentecostal, all kinds of weird other things. And then there, the other side is people that just say they're Christians, but they don't believe anything in the word. So we, we need to understand that there is, there's, there's a trust that we need to have in the Lord and in his word to know what is right and what, and what not, because we're told in the scriptures to discern. Anyway, I've got to put it on overdrive, but in, in Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 7, Isaiah 45, 5 through 7 says, I am the Lord, and there's no one else. Or there is none else, I should say. There is no God beside me. 
I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Now notice what he says here. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, before you get really worried about the statement, create darkness and create evil, understand that he's saying that these are the, these are the almost very natural uh, uh, occurrences that take place when he forms light. Don't forget that there was darkness when God said, let there be light. But then he divided the light, you know, for the day and, and, and the darkness for night, but had a light of reflection in the moon to give us light in, 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 in the night. So it's not like he creates darkness from the standpoint of creating, you know, the yin-yang or whatever it's called, you know, where you, you have the good and the bad all, in, in all kinds of ways. This is the, the outcome of these things. I make peace and create evil in the sense that where there is peace, there's always an enemy that wants to create the evil. And he says, I, the Lord, do all these things. Which means he's also in control of everything that's happening. And if he, if he wasn't, we'd be in a lot of trouble. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11, it says, Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Remember this, God, in declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, is saying, I have seen the whole parade from start to finish. In your time continuum, I have seen it all. I've seen the past because I was there before it. I've seen the end of your future because I was there before it. Because my time continuum is eternal. So I've seen the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. So my counsel is going to stand. Calling a ravenous bird, notice verse 11, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken and I will also bring it to pass. I purposed it, I will also do it. God allows the Babylonians to come and destroy Israel. More specifically, Judah and Jerusalem. Because he says, listen, you need to come back to me. You need to return to me. You need to stop doing the things that you're doing. You need to stop worshiping all these idols that, are, that you know, they have eyes but they can't see. They have ears but they can't hear. Come back to me. And I'll bless you. God wants to bless them, but they wouldn't do it. And they wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to live their things their, their own way and, and, and what was right in their own minds and what was right in their own eyes. So the Lord says, if you don't come back to me, I'm going to have to send you judgment. Are we, are we getting a picture now of this understanding of how do we respond to the disasters that we may be seeing? Not only in things that we've seen already, but in things that are going to happen in, in the very near future. Know that God is in control. And he knows the end from the beginning. We have to give him that because he is God and we're not. I thank God that there is not going to be Twitter in heaven. And no Facebook. There's only one face that matters. That's the face of our God and our King, and our Savior, and our Redeemer, the face of Christ. That's all that matters. I'm sick and tired of Facebook. I don't even get on very often. And when I do, I'm always in trouble with something, you know. Something's not working. I'm not, well, I don't want to fix it. Twitter. Jeez. Okay, <laughs> I'll get back to 
Yeah, I'm going to line here because I don't have that much time. So the last section of chapter 1 of Joel gives us the reason for the appeal of repentance, the, re the appeal for repentance. Here's the reason. Verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. God's involvement, he's not sitting up in heaven just letting us do our own thing. That day, the day of the Lord, is the day of God's anger, God's fury. And it's going to be a day of seven years of tribulation. But it will be a foretaste of the coming day of the Lord as a judge of all men. Isaiah 13 verse 9 says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof, thereof out of it. There's only one simple answer. Why is he going to destroy the sinners? Because he's given them an opportunity to come to him so he can bless them with life, eternal life, but they've rejected it. Do you see the impact of, of Genesis chapter 3? Because the one that is going to be destroyed to its fullest, to its, to its fullest is, is the devil himself that has caused all of this to happen. Obadiah verse 15 says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. What some people seek in, 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 in evil for others, that will come back to them unless they repent. Some of us have been there. Some of us came out of a lifestyle of wanting to hurt and kill people. And then God saves us and just thank the Lord for it and therefore we live for him because of what he saved us out of Zephaniah 1.15 says that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble, a, a distress a day, a day of, of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness verse, verse 16 through 18 now of Joel uh, one announces that the destructive day of the Lord was around the corner as he, as he gives a description of the aftermath of the locust plague. Look at verses 16 through 18 now of Joel 1. Is not the meat cut off from before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. That's cut off. No more sacrifices. The Jews have been living with that for 2,000 years. When the temple itself was destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. And now we hear talk of what? A third temple. Now we hear talk of what? A Sanhedrin already in place. What do we hear talk of now? All of the furniture and all of the, uh, of, of the implements of the temple have all been made. And some of us have actually seen it there in Jerusalem at the Temple Institute. We've seen what they've made. They're ready to use it. But let me just encourage you, the third temple is the temple that's going to be of Antichrist. So be careful when you go, oh yeah, there's going to be a third temple. Well, yeah, you can say, oh yeah, because you know that just means that Jesus is coming for us. And you're not going to see it. Because he's going to take us out of here. There's a reason for that. And I'll talk about that. Maybe this coming weekend. Or maybe the weekend after. But we'll see. All right. I'm giving too much away. Shh. The seed is rotten. Look at verse 17. The seed is rotten under the clods. Under their clods. Uh, the garners are laid uh, desolate. The garners were the granaries. 
the barns are broken down for the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed. Even the beasts are perplexed. Man, they're going around like, whoa, what's going on? Cows, you know. Because they have no pasture. And yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. So, so remember this. There was a joy that prevailed in the annual feasts. And no less of a joy and gladness was experienced in just the very ordinary sacrificial offerings at which the offers ate before the Lord with gladness and thanksgiving. You know, they'd bring the food to the priest or the, or the, the, the animals to the priest. The priest would, would you know, would, would sacrifice them. They were to take the, you know, they could eat of that. The fat belonged to the Lord, but everything else was to be given to the people to enjoy. And this is what they were rejoicing over, you see. But that joy was silenced and as described in verse 12, withered away from the sons of men. Joy was withered away. There's one thing that every true believer in Jesus Christ needs to remember and that is no one can take the joy of our salvation away from us. Not one person can take it away and not one devil or demon or Satan himself can take away the joy that God has given us in Jesus Christ. As long as we are staying in Christ, we are to be rejoicing. Even in the midst of all of the things that we see happening today. Deuteronomy 12, verses 6 and 7 says, And thither you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, heath offerings of your hand, your vows, your, will, your free will offerings, and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks. And there you shall leap before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all that you put your hand unto you and your households, wherein the Lord uh, thy God hath blessed thee. So there is a blessing in, in, in the offering, but what's being described here is that there's not going to be anything. The grain, the seed, is described as rotten or dried up or vanished away, having lost all of its vitality and its moisture. The garners or the granaries which were generally underground would become uh, desolate, meaning to a certain extent that the economy itself was going to collapse. Businesses would shut down because there was no product to sell. The cattle became perplexed, implying the restless gestures of the beasts and their inability to find food. And the sheep are made desolate, meaning that, they, that these innocent animals shared the punishment of, of, a guilt, of guilty men. They were sharing the punishment of guilty man. Made desolate. They, they, could, they could look at man and go, hey, what's up with you? I don't know that that's what they do when they look at you. But they probably could in those days. Or when they would come, you know. Because all creation, all creation, we're told in the book of Romans that all creation right now is in a, in, in a state of, of, of wonder what, what's, what's happening here. Awaiting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 19 and 20. I was going to talk about animals, but if I do that, I'll be here till 1230. So you guys don't need that. Well, I'll probably be by myself. <laughs> verse, uh, verse 19. O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up and the fire has devoured the pastures, pastures of the wilderness. The day of the Lord will be a day when true believers will cry out to the Lord for help. And I, I would venture, uh, you know, to say and, and confidently say that these would be the tribulation saints of the ultimate uh, coming of the Lord or the day of the Lord, I should say. For that is what the prophet Joel did, is that he realized the, the people's desperate situation. He was crying out to the Lord. Because he realized the people's desperate situation and their dire need to repent and to turn back to God. He cried out for God's help and, and mercy upon the people and the nation. 
He stood in the gap between the Lord and the people, standing as an example of intercessory prayer. This is what the prophet Joel did. Whether the priest did it or not, he did it. I would say that certain priests probably, probably did because of the way he described them, as I said earlier, with some honor and respect. But we're told in verse 20 that even the wild animals would cry out to God for relief and for help. And when God's judgment falls upon a nation, even the, na even the animals are affected. In this case, the scriptures say that the beasts would long for water and long for pasture. The judgment of God would dry up the streams and the ground itself, allowing fire to, to more easily ignite and burn up the vegetation that provides food for the wild animals. But the lesson for us to see is that the certainty of the day of the Lord is real. I mean, the certainty of the day of the Lord is real. The coming of God, uh, the day of God's terrifying judgment, it's real. And just when the climactic day will begin on earth is not really known. No person knows the day or the hour, of course, when Christ will return to earth to execute judgment. I don't know, I look on the internet and I find a whole bunch of people that already know. I guess they got a Twitter from Jesus. But the day of judgment is near for every one of us. All of us will one day leave the earth and stand before the Lord to hear his verdict upon our lives. All of us. Because there's two judgments. There's a judgment for every believer. A judgment for every believer. It's called the, the Bema Seat of Christ. Every believer will stand before the Lord. It tells us in 1 Corinthians. Every believer will stand before the Lord to be judged for everything we've done, good and bad. Doesn't mean that we'll, we'll miss out on heaven, no. But it's a purification time. Whatever gold, silver, precious jewels we have acquired in our, in our Christian walk, because the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. That's what that's all about. But there's also a great white throne judgment that's described in the book of Revelation where every person who's rejected Christ will stand before Jesus. And God knows everyone. He's not, he's not going to miss, you know, make a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. So we're all going to one day stand before the Lord to hear his verdict upon our lives, whether by rapture or by resurrection. So if we have truly placed our faith in Jesus Christ and are obeying his word, and his commandments. The Lord will accept us. That acceptance is something that we need to, to really meditate upon. You know, we always talk about, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Really, the question is, have you accepted the truth of who Jesus Christ is and the truth of what he's done for you? What we need to consider is, has he accepted us into his family. But if we have rebelled against the Lord, rejecting, cursing, denying him, well, we'll certainly suffer the judgment of God. But the Lord will take vengeance upon all who rebel against him and all who curse and deny, reject him. Let me, let me close with, with two passages of scripture, one from the Gospel of Mark and the statement of Jesus. And a statement by the Apostle Paul in 2 uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's start with Mark 8, verse 36. Most of you should be familiar with this. Where Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then listen to the words of Paul. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God 
and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Because our testimony among them was believed in that day. In that day. There's either the day of the Lord coming for those who don't know Jesus Christ. Or there will be the day of Christ and all who have committed their lives to Jesus will one day in an instant be snatched away, gathered and carried into the clouds to be with the Lord forever. Not something that comforts the church. Because Paul said to the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 4, comfort one another with these words. We need to know that Jesus is coming. And we need to know he's coming soon. So we, we have to make that distinction between the day of the Lord and the day of Christ. So in that day, when we will be before him, we will rejoice. Amen.